Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, May 12th. I'm Shelby Herbert. School counselors in Petersburg say they're feeling spread thin as they fight for funding to keep their program afloat. And they're worried about elevated anxiety levels among their students that could worsen with proposed state laws. As a note, this report contains details that may be upsetting to some listeners, including references to suicide. Ashley Kawashima is a mental health provider for Petersburg Middle and High Schools. She's also a behavioral health clinician at the local medical center. In the past few years, she says she's witnessed a trend towards anxiety. Oh, specifically over just like basic needs even. You know, things are getting more expensive. It's harder to access certain things. Um, A lot of that anxiety, I think, is just coming from those basic needs and figuring out, you know, food is expensive, shelter is expensive. According to the Alaska Department of Labor, economic uncertainty from the pandemic is still hanging around. Supply chain disruptions continue to be a problem, and the state's job growth was among the slowest in the country last year. Kawashima says the kids are paying attention. Um, And so they're kind of coming to school and they're worried like, oh, like I need to think about like, what am I going to do for work this summer? Because I need to be able to contribute. In order to support their families, Kawashima says many Petersburg students are looking to join the fishing and canning industries, which are associated with irregular hours and high levels of stress. On the bright side, the school district's mental health support staff say many students are comfortable reaching out for help when they need it. Mariah Colton is the student support specialist at Petersburg's middle and high schools. She says her students are more empowered to seek out mental health support than previous generations. Students are more likely to reach out, even if it's just like an email that's like, I just want you to know I'm worrying about this. Petersburg's counselors welcome that openness, but they're worried about legislation that could change how they do their jobs. In March, Governor Mike Dunleavy announced a bill that would require parental consent to change students' names and pronouns in school. If approved by the legislature, students would also require written permission to join programs related to gender and sexuality. Colton says if the bill passes, she expects it will make her job more difficult than it already is. If we're really, really in the business of helping and doing no harm, it's hard to picture there being a law that forces us to out students and actually potentially doing harm to them. And I'm trying not to pre-worry about things, you know, but I am certainly pre-worried. <laughs> that sense of safety is important when they need to intervene in critical situations. Sometimes, Kawashima says, the students will speak up on behalf of each other. Students will refer their friends to her if they're experiencing a mental health crisis. Their friends were like, hey, I talked to this person and they were able to help me during this really difficult thing or to figure out kind of what to do. And, um, you know, they might be able to help you, too. And so it's nice because it's not just like parents. Kawashima often sees higher need students. Those who have experienced significant traumas are experiencing suicidal ideation or exhibiting self-harming behaviors. She gets paid through the SAP grant, or the Suicide Awareness Prevention and Postvention Program. The $25,000 grant is one of many state initiatives to address Alaska's high rate of youth suicidal ideation. But the Petersburg School District is reaching the end of their current five-year grant period. 
amidst this precarity. Colton says administrative tasks, the things counselors have to do outside of actual counseling, haven't stopped piling up. I see my position being spread more thin where that like I have to be really protective of my time with students and be able to say no to certain tasks and duties. I have to hold these boundaries because I know this is important for students. Rachel Etcher is the counselor for Petersburg's Racy Stedman Elementary. She says people are an expensive part of education and that over the course of her career, she's watched the workforce shrink. And when budget cuts happen, staffing shortages sting the most. It's the people that are building this safety net that are helping catch kids um, from falling through the cracks. And that's happening in classrooms when we have additional teacher's aid help. It's happening in the lunchroom when we've got people that can do more than just quickly shoveling food out. It's when they can come out and they can be having conversations with kids. Those kinds of connections is what saves kids. The school district has been a SAP grantee for many years. And the counselors say the outcome of losing that resource is almost incomprehensible. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. The Petersburg School District will find out whether or not they will receive SAP funding for the next five years on Sunday, May 14th. An Alaska Airlines plane featuring a design by Alaska Native artist Crystal Worrell will make its inaugural flight from Anchorage to Juneau today. The plane was scheduled to land at the Juneau Airport at 9.23 a.m. And from there, it will continue on to Sitka, Ketchikan, and Seattle. Worrell's blue, white, and pink design depicts salmon in northwest coast formline. The newly painted plane is named Hatkwani, or Salmon People. According to Alaska Airlines, it's the first time they've featured a language besides English on the main door of an aircraft. Rural recently designed a stamp for the U.S. Postal Service. She also painted the Elizabeth Paratrovich mural in downtown Juneau, and her art appears on a Juneau ambulance. Last year, she replaced an anchorage mural depicting local history with one featuring a colorful formline nature scene. Alaska Airlines' Salmon 30 Salmon 2, which flew the milk run from Seattle through southeast Alaska for more than a decade, took its last flight in April. Scientists and tribal governments in Southeast are collaborating to assess risks from landslides and floods. And as Alain de Plemeny reports from Haines, the research will be tailored to each community's needs. The Skagway Traditional Council and the Sitka Sound Science Center are working together to identify and monitor geophysical risks around Skagway. The agreement is part of the broader regional Kute project. Kute means weather in Hlingit. Sarah Kinjo-Hisher is the tribal administrator for the Skagway Traditional Council. She says the Sitka Sound Science Center approached a tribe in 2020 about the partnership. At that time, we were interested in various things, including flooding, landslides. The project is to come up with some type of warning system or parameters for things that the community identified that are most important to them. The Kute project originated in Sitka after three people died there in a landslide in 2015. The Sitka Sound Sound Center put a monitoring system in place to warn residents when the risk of a landslide is high. 
In southeast Alaska, this is mostly related to rain. The center has atmospheric scientists on staff who are working on a classification system for atmospheric rivers. Those are the cloud formations that can span thousands of miles and generate massive rains. We've learned through applying a bunch of different statistical models that basically the intensity of the rainfall over the last three hours is the best predictor of when a landslide might occur. Ron Heinz is the research director at the Sitka Sound Science Center. He says the center has reached out to tribal governments around the region and offered to help assess the local risk management needs. In addition to Skagway, the center is working with Klokwan, Huna, Yakutat, Craig, and Kassan. The center staff starts by meeting with a community to learn their needs. We just got done with the two public comment events to gather more information and historical insight from community members. Kinjo Hisher says people's knowledge of their home and memories of the past can help understand some phenomena. Older residents can remember a spot that flooded 50 years ago. An area will react to flooding differently if the soil was compacted by past use. And Kinjo Hisher says at a recent meeting, someone pointed out the location of an old airstrip. The Science Center staff gathers all that local knowledge and tries to figure out what the communities want to do with it. In Sitka, this took the form of an app that tracks the risk level for a landslide. Heinz says the scientists had offered to set up an alarm system but realized no one wanted to be responsible for pressing the alarm button. Projects are customized to each community's need. In Skagway, the tribe and the science center are agreeing with the municipality to look at the range to the east of town that has been the source of recent rockfalls. This fall, we're going to put out a bunch of seismometers and we're just going to get a sense of how much things are moving in and around the Skagway area. This will provide a seismic picture of the mountains. Heinz says they plan on conducting a survey this spring, which will provide an even more precise picture. For their work in Klokwan, Heinz says the priority is to identify where new housing can be built. The village lies between the river, that is eroding the land, and the mountain, which is the source of landslides. Heinz says in this case they have chosen not to spend much time conducting surveys. We can basically bring experts from the community, experts in flooding and landslides and stuff, together into one room and spend the day talking about it and poring over maps and at least finding some sort of general ideas that this could use to at least think about this. Heinz says that working in Huna, he found landslides are more likely to cut off the roads that residents use to go hunting and foraging. The discussion there is more focused on food safety. Heinz says one challenge will be long-term funding. The National Science Foundation is providing some initial funds. He says maybe the U.S. Geological Survey would provide longer-term funding. Heinz envisions community members taking over the day-to-day -day monitoring process. We would want to pay community members to be our eyes and ears on the ground. And so... If you've got instruments that are out in the field that need to be serviced or maintained, that they would be the people that would do that. Heinz says community members would also participate in region-wide meetings about issues associated with extreme precipitation. They would work closely with their community emergency planning committees and first responders. For KHNS, I'm Alan DePremineau.
Unalaska is over a week into its annual community cleanup event, and dozens of volunteers have already removed over 400 bags of trash from local beaches and roads. One of those peace people is Harmony Wainer. She grew up between Unalaska and the Bristol Bay region, and now she's a fellow with the Alaska Sea Grant, a conservation and research organization that works to protect Alaska's coast. Wainer's work focuses specifically on marine debris. She says a lot of the trash on Unalaska shores and shores around the state didn't originate locally. Currents swirl around the Pacific Ocean and Bering Sea, carrying refuse that lands on local beaches. This isn't a problem that is coming from communities that are, you know, leaving chip bags on the beach. It's it's a larger issue of um, lost fishing gear. Um, from industrial fishing or uh, distant source debris from Asia. One of the biggest concerns with marine debris is microplastics. Things like plastic bottles and styrofoam break down into smaller pieces that fish can mistake for food, introducing plastic into the food web. They ingest it and uh, the stomachs of the animals just can't process human-made materials like that. Um, So it sticks around and either gets absorbed into the body or can lead to to the death of that animal. Unalaska's community cleanup runs through May 15th. In many parts of Alaska, river ice is a central part of life in winter, used for transportation, recreation, and subsistence fishing. But ice conditions today are becoming more unpredictable with climate warming. A University of Alaska Fairbanks program is recruiting members of the public to help monitor river ice around the state to inform breakup and flooding forecasts and track long-term changes in the ice. Katie Spellman is an assistant professor at UAF, helping coordinate the Fresh Eyes on Ice program. We have this the capability to exchange knowledge so fast now that you know we saw real potential in sharing observations up and down river um, through our phones um, that hadn't been a part of the ice monitoring um, programs in the past in Alaska. All you have to do is snap a photo and send it with a note marking the location. Contributors can add photos to the Fresh Eyes on Ice Facebook page or website, or even through a citizen science app called Globe Observer. Spelbin says the hundreds of photos the program receives help forecasters model river ice and issue warnings about floods and erosion. This year's cold spring is concerning, she says, because the late snowpack increases the risk of ice jam flooding on Alaska's major rivers. She says photo submissions can also help preserve a record of what river ice looks like right now. In climate research, those images... You know, that if you, you take one today, the value increases through time because we want to see how it was in the past. It's still unclear exactly how climate change will affect ice and flooding, since rivers could see thinner ice growth, but heavier precipitation or unpredictable freeze-thaw cycles. For more information on how to contribute a photo of river ice anywhere in Alaska, visit fresheyesonice.com. There were 10 winning tickets in this Nanana Ice Classic, on that note. According to organizers of the annual Tanana Ice River Ice Out Guessing Game, the winners included one from 
one each from Fairbanks, North Pole, Sandpoint, Wasilla, and Eagle River, two from Palmer, and three from Anchorage. They'll each receive checks for over $22,000. The ice went on the Tanana River at Nanana on May 8th at 4.01 p.m.